Well, good morning as I struggle with my, my in-ears. I'm just going to throw these away. Well, I won't hear the next song when we play it. Anyways, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, sorry, Lisa. Um, we are continuing on in our series uh, in James, and we've been going through this for a very, very long time. Uh, this is week eight, and starting next week on Easter, we'll start uh, a new series. Um, but something that's, that's, that was really cool that happened last week, if you weren't here, is we did a pulpit swap um, with our sending church, which is uh, Cattles Christian Church. And I got to go back and preach at my home church, which is a huge blessing. Uh, and Dave got to come here and see what uh, the church that he sent out and, and the elders sent out uh, to be planted in South Lexington. And, and he was uh, overjoyed um, by just the worship that's going on here. So um, uh, I'll talk to Dave again in a year, and we'll see if that, that happens again. We don't talk in between. Uh, those things. Uh, but one thing I, I am excited, um, and I, we already mentioned this, Emily joining our staff, which is going to be a huge blessing for us. And if you could in, in, uh, build her up as much as possible over the next couple weeks, uh, just encourage her because it's going to be a huge learning curve. It's going to feel like she's drinking from a, a big uh, a hydrant, essentially, with all the different stuff that's going on. She's never uh, done this before, but uh, we believe that she's going to uh, be great. Um, we have right now about 85 to 90 people in our church um, but we forget, if you, if you only come in here and you don't have any kids, we have about 50 people in here. We've got like 30 kids over there. So it is a madhouse over there, uh, all worshiping Jesus, chaotic, but, it, but it's all good because it's in the name of Jesus. Um, but uh, we are in the final week of, of James, and I really want to hone in and focus on this final week on how, how he ends, um, because we are preparing our hearts starting today going into the Easter season. Um, and it is crazy that it's already Easter time, it's already April, and we, we have to really hone down and bunker down and really make sure that we can celebrate next Sunday. And, and to do that to the best of our ability is we really need to go to the Scriptures, we really need to look at what James, how he ends this, on how we need to come together in community, and over the next week we need to prepare our hearts for the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we start that, that celebration by, by blessing the community, having a bunch of people come to our Easter egg hunt. It's going to be nuts. There's going to be hot dogs. There's going to be eggs. There's going to be candy everywhere. There's going to be screaming kids everywhere. And then we need to come back here next Sunday and just worship Christ. And that's going to be a great day. But before we get started, uh, here's my, my main point for today. main point is this. There is a correct response in every season. If you're joining us from in the middle of this study or at the beginning of this study, basically James was trying his best to come up with the most popular things that Christians are going to struggle with over their time. He came up with basically eight to nine to ten things that, that he saw in, in early Christians that they would struggle with, and he knew most likely if humans never changed, if humans stayed the way that they were always going to stay, that these ten things, these eight things, us as Christians will continue to struggle for the rest of eternity. So he wrote this book. James was the brother of Jesus, and he watched his brother walk with God for his entire life. And he watched his brother find disciples. He watched his, his brother um, encourage others to go make disciples. And he saw these young Christians, these young Christ followers, struggle with all of these things. And he thought it would be best to share that with this community. Um, so this is what James is trying to do in the last part of his scripture. Last, sorry, last part of his, of his um, book. He is trying to give a recap of everything that's happened so far. And he's going to try his best to see about everything that we can control in our life, 
everything that's going to happen in our life, and he's trying to combine it in, with the relationship with God, but also have the support of our Christian community. That James saw all of these roadblocks that Christians are going to face in their life, but it should be joined right behind with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So James is going to speak from an earthly side of things, specifically of being weary today, about being sick and being low in our spirit, and why community is a huge part of this aspect. So this is how it starts in James 5.13. It says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. See, James is starting off this section of Scripture bringing back something that he talked about at the beginning of his letter in James 1. If you haven't read James before, if you're starting in the middle, you can go back after, after today and read this. But James is talking about being tested in faith. Is anybody in trouble? Let them pray. If you remember, he says, and he, he kind of pushes back a little bit, that says, whenever you receive pushback from the world, whenever you follow Christ, you will receive pushback from the world. That there will be trouble in your life, but immediately after that, he says that you need to allow this pushback to happen. You need to work through this pushback. You need to work through this trouble because it will produce in you, it will produce in you something of maturity. It will produce in you an ability to move forward in life no matter what's going on in your life. And immediately after that, he brings up an, an opposite idea, which is, is anybody happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, James bringing up a previous idea here, trying to make sure that he ends this entire scripture and ends his entire letter with making sure that we remember that there will be troubles of many kinds. That no matter what's going on in our life, whether we're, we're having troubles in our, our earthly life or having troubles just following Christ, that eventually those two will come together and there will be troubles at many time. And if you remember, I think, I, I think in my early sermon I related this to uh, something like working out or playing a sport or starting a new job. Or, or just starting a new process in life, at the beginning, there's this lot of excitement, right? There, there's, a lot of this, there's a lot of energy. But somewhere in the middle, things become hard in a way. Like whenever you work out for the very first time, the first couple days, you're really excited. You push through. You have a lot of endorphins. But after a couple days, you wake up and you realize, oh, my body has new spots that I don't know about, and this is rough. And whenever you start a new job, everything's new. You go through orientation, and you're like, this is awesome. And they give you all your new programs. They give you your badge, so you look official. You might get your first salary kind of wrapped through. And you're like, ooh, this money is nice. And then the first problem comes up, and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing in this job. They probably shouldn't hire me in the first place. But James says that we need to push through because as you push through, you get better at things, Right? As, as you progress in your job, you get better at your, well, you should, let me phrase that, you should get better at your job, and then it will produce in you a maturity, so whenever a new person comes in, when they're going through those same problems, you can be like, hey, look, just keep pushing through. Same with working out with a, with a sport or anything in life, we need to be motivated and push forward in things. Now, all these things in life have a honeymoon stage, as I talked about, right? Like even those, even in, in college, we even had a honeymoon stage in college, which sounds ridiculous. Whenever you go to college at the beginning, it's like, oh, this is fun. We're, we're surrounded by new people. We might be in a dorm. 
and this is great, but then you realize like two weeks in that this is just school again, and school's not fun. There's a honeymoon stage. And when you start a new career, there's a honeymoon stage, and, and you're doing all this new work, and what, when work actually begins after the orientation, you're like, oh, this is just work, and I actually do have to sit down and do things. And even when you're married, there is a honeymoon But there also is a honeymoon stage where everything is new, everything is exciting, but there is this one moment, everybody has it who is married, where you wake up and you look over at the person next to you and you have to make a decision that morning. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to take care of this person. The honeymoon stage is over. There's nothing new anymore and you've you've experienced everything up to that point together and you have to look at the person next to you and say, Yes, I'm going to marry you. There is a choice that comes, no matter what. And James compares this, this, this struggle in our life with our walk with Christ. That there will be a time when all of this, worth, this worldly expectation, and there's all of this beginning excitement of following Christ, all of this emotion will settle down, you'll get used to it. And then there will be this, this moment in your life that it's really, really hard, and you have to make the decision. You have to make the decision to follow him. And James continues in that in the end in James 5. And he gives a simple explanation. Is anybody among you in trouble? Is anyone among you struggling in your work? Is anyone among you struggling in marriage? Is anyone among you struggling of any kind? Is anyone among you being weary of spirit when following Christ? And he gives a really simple explanation here. He says, let them pray. And in that moment when we pray, we have hope and a spiritual strength to endure the trial with a godly spirit. So he also gives a contrast. He doesn't just want to give all the attention to the people who are hurting, but, he, but also there, there's a big group of people who have, have seasons of being happy, of being joy, being joyful. And he says, let them sing songs of praise. So who amongst you has tested God's will? And they see at the end of it that it is good. Let them sing songs of praise. Who has come, come to life because you passed down Jesus' name and they were baptized? Let them sing songs of praise. Who has been delivered from sin and bondage and, and shame and darkness? Let them sing songs of praise. See, both of these situations happen when you follow Christ. There will be situations where you struggle and you are hurting, and there will be seasons of life where you'll have the exact opposite, and you will be happy and joyful. But in both scenarios, there is a correct response in that moment. So why, in our natural desire of our life, in our struggle with our human desire and our earthly desire, how come sometimes in our earthly desire we choose to do the exact opposite thing. That we see that there is a correct response to both situations in life, in and out of season, whether you're hurting or in joy, there is a response in Christ's name, but for some reason we kind of hunker down in our home and we go on the couch and we get beneath the blankets. Now we might send out a little uh, message online that say, please send good vibes or something like that. But for some reason... And, and, and I could just relate to this, maybe it's the downfall of our, our restoration movement where we think living life in and out of season needs to be a personal battle. That, that might be a struggle of something that we, we haven't done a good job of doing and upbringing in our restoration movement. 
in our maybe even evangelical movement of there's a personal relationship with Christ. Like that's a big part of our movement. And we, uh, even a John 3.16 movement where it's, it's very personal, a personal relationship with Christ. But I think we, we forget the part that there is fellowship in Christ outside of that, correct? That, that there is a personal relationship with Christ, but that doesn't mean that you have to walk through every season of life just with your personal relationship with Christ, but there is a backing of believers behind you. Both situations happen in and out of life. Both situations. And in John 5, Jesus uh, has this weird interaction with somebody um, who is not well. And, and he has this exact same uh, response that we naturally do in our life. So what Jesus was doing is he was walking through, uh, and, he, and he stumbled, uh, I don't know if he stumbled upon, or he just came upon this pool, and it was called the Pool of Bethesda. And, there, and it was this really special, magical pool that people would go to if they were sick, if they were paralyzed, if they were blind, if they were lame, whatever. And they would sit by this pool, and they would wait for healing. So it was told basically once a year or multiple times a year that, the, that the, the angel of the Lord would come down from heaven and would touch this pool, and it would stir the pool. And, and whoever entered that pool first would receive healing. So what people would do is, is, is people who are friends and family of those who were struggling would basically just leave their lame friends at the pool and just hopes that somehow, in some way, they would find their way into to the pool first so they could receive healing. So Jesus starts out his ministry, and he, and he, and he stumbles upon this pool. And he comes, comes across this person that has been struggling for a very, very long time. It says this in James 5, 1 through 5. Sometimes la- sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Hi. Uh, Jesus, uh, let me start over. Sometime uh, later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate of Pool, which is an Aramaic, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered uh, colonnades, which a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So for 38 years, Jesus is assumed that, that his friends had just dropped him off by this pool and just basically said, I hope the best for you in this moment. That he said, this is, this is your duty as, an, as, a, as a paralyzed person, that it is your responsibility to get in that pool by yourself. So Jesus goes up to him and says this, when Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the waters is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Do you find it interesting? Or maybe I'm the only one that asks these questions, but because you're here, you're going to ask this question as well. Do you find it interesting that Jesus just asked him a yes or no question? Which, from my perspective, would have, would have reacted a very sarcastic response, which would be like, well, duh, Jesus, I want to get well. I've been here for 38 years. Well, duh, Jesus. But like being, like I said earlier, it, through life and everything, there should be this well, duh response. 
But in his, in, his earthly, in his earthly space, he doesn't give that well-done response, but he gives an answer of just a disbelief of what his current situation was. You know, from, from life's perspective, there always should be a yes or no question when it comes to Jesus, and there should be this, well, duh, I want to get well. And we, we do this all the time whenever people ask you yes or no questions, like, do you want to get out of debt? The answer is, well, duh, I want to get out of debt. If my wife asks me if I want a hot brownie, I say, well, duh, I want a hot brownie. Or if you ask Drew if he wants a Diet Coke, his answer is, well, duh. Well, duh. The answer is always yes, well, duh. Well, he responds with a disappointing failed, failed solution of not being able to get into the pool and there was no hope for him to walk again. So why, we must ask? Why in the world was, was there not many options in that time? Why, for some reason, people just came around this pool and never asked or tried to find out another solution to this problem? That even traditions of the first century seemed to trump anything else in life, but because it worked once for somebody, therefore it works for every single person. Why do we always, have to, why do we always think we have to do things by ourselves? Even in the first century Christian Jewish culture, we see that there's this individualized culture that has been trying to figure things out by themselves. And we see that for 38 years, this man had been an invalid. The longer he stays there, the, the further distance he became, and the further distance he became from hope, and became more hopeless over time. That even after 38 years, there was no new strategy. There was no more asking for help. There was just isolation that we see. Even Jesus said to this after that, and his, and his response was, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. That Jesus bypassed all common procedures in this moment. Or any strong desire in his heart in this moment. And we do the exact same thing. That, that for some reason we just get up and we beat our head against the wall over and over and over, hoping for a different outcome, don't we? But Jesus in this moment bypasses everything and offers healing. That, there's no, that there, there, there is a response to everything in life. That there is a correct response in everything in life. So Jesus continues, sorry, and James continues with this idea in mind that there, if there's anyone sick among you, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint their, their heads with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. See, James in this moment introduced the church stepping into the place alongside of everybody in every single type of season. So there are so many different ideas behind what James is trying to talk about here. And I know whenever we see this in James, it says that you need to call the elders of the church if you're sick and you need to be anointed with oil. And I know that some of you guys clammed up with the idea of an elder coming and putting oil on any part of your body. But oil represents different types of ideas here. 
and a spiritual aspect and an earthly aspect to it. That anointing oil was something that represents God's presence coming along you. Or it represents the Holy Spirit intervening on your behalf. Asking God to heal, asking God to come alongside you, and making sure that you feel well in the future of that. But oil also has an earthly aspect to it as well. That, that oil was used to hydrate the skin in the first century. It made the skin look better in the first century. So in times of sickness, that is when your skin, and if you've ever seen somebody that's really, really sick, that's when you see that they just look different, that they're not their same self, that the, that the, the pink and greens of, of, your, of, your, of your face or the, or the dark complexion of your face times starts to fade away in your life. That, that your skin almost looks like it's like barely hanging on, that it starts to droop whenever you're sick. And oil was used to rehydrate and replenish the skin. So that we have this, this, this earthly aspect of oil which, which helps rejuvenate and helps heal the skin. And we also have this spiritual aspect of it which asking God to come beside you in your life. That we have oils in our life to make sure, and elders in our life, to make sure that it is very important that we pray over each other. Now, before you guys run out, and I know that you guys will definitely do this, go to your local Kroger and just bathe in oil, hoping that God will heal you, and then you'll give me a call and be like, nothing happened. Well, let me, let me read this scripture one more, time, one more time. It says, Is anyone sick among you? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the, person, the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Now the really clear, very clear aspect to this is that there, that there is a correct response to it of, 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 of praying and then asking the elders of the church to come beside you and, and, and raise you up, anoint your head with oil because we see that prayer is very important. And then it says that if we do this, the Lord will raise you up and forgive you and heal you. Now we need to understand that when we say the Lord will raise you up, it is God raising you up. It is not our decision and our time when healing comes. It is not our time when the Lord will raise you up, but it is the Lord's timing that He will raise you up. I know we hate this. I know that we hate whenever we pray something, it doesn't happen immediately. I know when we pray for healing and it doesn't happen immediately, we, we, we see that, that things happen in our life and we pray and, and it doesn't come through fruition immediately. It doesn't fix immediately in our life, but I would love to direct you back to James 1 in the beginning of this, that it says, if anybody is in trouble, let them pray. And whenever you are in trouble, allow that trouble to work through your life so that you become mature. So I think James is combining James 5 and James 1 here, where he says, sometimes in your life, when we anoint your head with oil, we anoint a part of your head with oil, and we pray over you, it will take time sometimes for healing. And it will be healed in, its, in, its, in God's own way, in the way that he fit, seems be, fits best, mostly because we need to become mature in everything that we do. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. But with that framework, 
that there, there, there is a, a correct way to do things in and out of season, that if you are hurting, we should pray. If you, are, if you are hopeful and you're excited, there should be praise, there should be singings of praise. And if you are sick, there should be a response of the community and the, and the church leaders to come beside you and pray for you and anoint your head with oil, asking God to intercede for us in this moment to make you well in hopes that God will raise you up, not only cleansing your body with oil, but also cleansing your soul and giving you a, and giving you a push towards healing. In that example, James says this, Therefore, because of all those things, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And James gives an example of Elijah right after this, of a powerful, righteous person with with a great prayer. It says, Elijah was a human being even as you were. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed, and, and again he prayed, and the heaven, heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. See, James doubles down on the practice that prayer works. But more specifically, prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That there is a correct response in every season. When you have sinned in your life, not only should we give the burden to God, but we should allow our brothers and sisters to carry that, bo- that burden for just a moment so we can breathe. But the most important part, continue to be welcomed into the community no matter what's in our life. I know this from experience. That when you do something wrong or, there, or you are sick in your life, we tend to isolate not only in our minds but in our actions as well. And we tend to isolate ourselves from the community and our, and our minds and our thoughts turn against the things that God is trying to push us towards and things against the church as well. And we even have times if we go further and further in the wrong direction, our thoughts even go against our brothers and sisters, which aren't warranted at all, that we start to make up scenarios in our mind. See, if you start to feel yourself being pulled away, if you're in that season that's struggling, and you, or if you've sinned in your life, there's this natural desire to go away from the church. There's this natural desire to go away from your brothers and sisters in Christ for some reason. And your mind slowly starts to stumble away from the things of God, but of the things that we want. I would encourage you, I want to encourage you to go to your community groups, to go to to your brothers and sisters in person, to call a minister to connect with you on staff to have a conversation. And I guarantee you, no matter what situation that you're in, if you have that immediate contact with a brother and sister in Christ, specifically a righteous one, you will immediately start to feel connected again from when you were distant. The very first time I experienced this in my life was when I was like five years old. And that's weird that I remember this story. But my grandfather, who was an elder of a church who have since passed away, my grandfather was a healer and anointer. That was something that he prided himself in, that their church really took anointing seriously of somebody who was sick. 
So basically, if you, if you stubbed your toe, there was grandpa coming around the corner with oil, ready to anoint your toe with, with uh, oil to make sure God intervened in that moment to make sure your toe felt better. If you were sick, God, uh, grandpa would come around the corner, would come to your house and anoint your head with oil. Um, if, if there was something going on in your life where you're, just, where you're just down and grandpa heard about it, you better believe that he would show up with his anointing oil, which came in a little container. He would take it out, he would place it on your forehead, and he'd pray for God to intervene in your life. But the most vivid memory I had in my life was when me and my brother were playing in a huge cardboard box. And the cardboard box was for this massive car that was the coolest thing in the world. But of course, we pushed the car aside, and we went exact, immediately towards the box, like all kids do. When you spend a ton of money, you just pay attention to the box. And we created this house, and it had a window, and it had a front door. And my grandpa even recognized that we weren't going to play with the big car he just spent a lot of money on, and it, we created this house. And in the garage, we found this baseball-looking steel ball. It, it had the design of a baseball, but for some reason, it was completely steel. And I, had, I still, to this day, have no idea what that, what that ball was for, but me and my brother, who were like five and three, found that ball. And of course, when something's heavy and destructive, two boys are like, we are going to play with that. So we bring it inside, uh, not telling our grandparents that at all, and we decided to pass this heavy ball between the window. And for some reason, my brother, well, I know why, because we're passing it back and forth, and me and my ADHD, ADD self decided like squirrel and looked away, and my brother passed the ball through the window, and it hit me right in the face. And immediately, I have a high speed come apart and freak out, and there's blood coming down from my, from my eyebrow, and over time, as I calm down, I'm laying on the couch, and my grandpa comes home from his engineering job, and he sees me laying on the couch. This is before cell phones and everything, so he didn't know. And the first thing he does, is he goes to his car, and he gets his travel size anointing oil, which came in a little metal container that was on his key ring. And he comes back in, and he places the oil on top of my forehead, and he prays for me. And in that moment when I felt so frustrated and alone and full of pain and suffering and stupidity at the same time, just the action of somebody else coming and placing their hand upon you and praying for you connected me to reality once again in my family. That no matter what was going on in my life, no matter what pain and suffering I had in my life, I felt connected again and I knew I was not going to be alone that whatever pain and suffering I was going to have in my life, I wasn't going to be alone, but my grandparents were there to make sure I was going to be okay. See, in our life, we have pain, we have suffering, we have rejoicing, and we have prayer of a righteous person. But just the person coming to your house when you're not doing well, just a friend coming alongside of you when you ask for prayer invites you to be connected to the community once again, and you realize in that moment that you, you're not going to do this alone. You're not going to be alone when the job gets hard. You're not going to be alone when your kids are going nuts and you don't know what to do. You're not going to be alone when you have a medical problem and you, and you don't know the solution at the end, you know that you are not going to be alone because a prayer of a righteous person draws you back into the kingdom of God where there is peace 
and there is comfort. I do believe that there is correct response in and out of season. And I pray as, as our hearts are being directed towards Easter. I'm not sure where every single one of you guys lie today. We're in Kentucky and we're in the Christian church, so as soon as you walk through those doors, you put on your, your best church face and you smile and you, and, and you, and you try to just have a good time for, for a couple hours of the day. So I don't know how individually you guys are doing. But I'd love to encourage you in this moment as we take James's final thoughts to heart that if you are one of those people that are having trouble among you, I encourage you to pray. I encourage you not to isolate. I encourage you to call a minister or a pastor in your life. I encourage you to call your community group and your community group leaders. I encourage you to call a righteous person in your life and ask for prayer. Because after that moment of prayer and conversation, you'll realize that you're not alone. And I believe that's what God did and Jesus did in Easter. That an entire society, an entire Christian and Jewish society, people who love God felt alone for a very long time, felt disconnected from, from our Heavenly Father, and He sent His Son down on the cross to remove that gap between us and God so that we will never feel alone again that we'll never feel pain and suffering again in the same way by feeling alone, but we get to experience life together and move closer together towards God together in Christian community and not on our own. The one thing that we get to do and we have in our Christian faith that nobody else has is we have each other. And we should never do life alone. Because I believe no matter what's going on in your life, whether you're doing well or you're, or, you're, or you're doing really poor, there is a correct response in and out of season. So God, as we, as we end our service together, I ask that you come before us and you direct our hearts to make sure that we come together as a community to worship you. That we come together to, to, and believe that no matter what's going on our, in and out of season, that that our friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ and our pastors and our elders and our community groups direct us towards you no matter what so that we don't isolate and we don't think that we're doing life alone, but we know that there is comfort in your Son. God, as we prepare our hearts for Easter, as we prepare our hearts for the coming and the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, I pray that we, we do not isolate in this moment, but we come together and just prepare our hearts for your Son. That we, th- that we throw out the distractions of our life or we isolate the distractions of our life to make sure that we can fully focus on your Son in this week. God, please be with us. And I ask this all in your Son's name. Amen.